I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Scripture this morning. Book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, chapter 23. Matthew 23. Today we are finishing our series of relational leeches. How do we love people that suck the life out of us? How do we love people that suck the life out of us? Um, I pray that this series has been helpful to you. I have heard many um, positive reports of how the Holy Spirit has helped uh, some of you and spoken to you through this series, and I'm so grateful for that. And today I want to talk about the last group of people that we're going to do is how do we love, how do we treat people who are hypocrites? People who are hypocrites. I want to show of hands. How many of you know someone that's a hypocrite? Raise your hand. Put them up. All right. All right. How many of you are sitting by someone? No, I'm kidding. Maybe maybe I shouldn't go there. Um, Do you know what the number one complaint from non-Christians about Christians is? They're all a bunch of hypocrites. Where does the word hypocrite come from? We've got to know that a little bit. Do you know that word actually originates before Jesus used it here in Matthew 23? It goes all the way back to Greek theater. And someone that was a hypocrite is actually someone who was an actor. It was a stage actor. And it was one who wore a mask. Someone that wore a mask. In other words, they wanted to portray on the outside something that they weren't on the inside. They weren't actively living who they were portraying outwardly. Jesus, when he's talking here in Matthew 23, you'll find out that he has a zero tolerance policy on hypocrisy. Again and again and again, he hammers it. In fact, he says it in this chapter seven times, woe to the hypocrites. He talks about their, uh, their outward lifestyle. We're going to read just one little thing, one verse in this that sums it up. It's in Matthew 23, verse 28. And it says this, So you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. We're going to continue this thought for just a minute. We're going to pause and pray. We're going to pray for two things today. First of all, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart on this. Because church, if we can get this right... If we can get this right on how to love people that are dealing with hypocrisy, God can use this in a mighty, mighty way. The second thing we're going to pray for is we're going to pray for those families that lost loved ones in El Paso and in Dayton this morning. Pray that God will comfort them and surround them with his peace. Amen. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, today it is with a heavy heart that we come before you this morning God, and tragedies that have happened in the last 24 hours, things that have taken place that are senseless, really. But God, I thank you that nothing takes you by surprise. And God, today, you know the families that are hurting, those ones that have lost loved ones, those families, those friends that are brokenhearted. Lord, your word says in Psalms that you are close to the brokenhearted. And that you bind up their wounds. And so today, we as a church, we, we agree together and we ask that the Holy Spirit of the Lord would come around these folks. 
that you'd comfort them in their time of grief, that you'd help them as they deal with anger and all these other issues. God, as they, as they process all of this, I, I pray that in the middle of all of this pain and sorrow and hurt, that you would bring about love and joy and peace and good things. God, we, we, we don't know exactly how you'll do it, but God, I know that you can. God, use the church in these areas. Use the church, God, in El Paso. Use the church in Dayton. God, use the church around the globe to speak life in the situations like this. God, we pray for us today. God, we're about to hear a word today on the, the power of how to love hypocritical people. And I pray, God, that you would help us today. Help us to wrap our mind around this. Help us, Lord, to get this right to be able to speak life into people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you deal with the hypocrites in your life? Man, it could be your buddy. He comes in and he acts all good, like everything's great. He comes to your fellowship time. He eats all your chips and dip. He even prays before he goes home at the end, but everybody in the room kind of knows he's been cheating on his wife and nobody cares kind of looks the other way. Man, it could be that Christian kid at school. The kid comes to engage youth group every Tuesday night and listens to Pastor Dustin preach words on integrity and living a life above reproach and pray, raises his hands in worship. And yet when he leaves, he goes out and parties on the weekends and cheats on his tests. It could be the boss who proclaims Christ and, and man with his or her lips, but he treats, they treat their employees horribly, lead the business with no integrity whatsoever. Everybody seems to know it. How do you do that? What's our role in those kind of situations? What, what are we supposed to do? Do we have a role, or are we just supposed to stand back and, and just be prayerful about it? How, how are we supposed to respond to this? How do we show love to those who proclaim one thing, but inwardly they are living some other way? It's completely different. I've got a mask that shows everything's good, but on the inside, they're deteriorating. Well, what we got to do today here is what we're going to attempt to do is build a foundation, and then we're going to talk about how we love them, okay? But we got to first build a foundation, and to do that, I think we have to ask a question, and the first question that we have to ask is this, why are they acting like that? Why are they acting like that? Because if you're going to try to discern why, that's going to help you to determine what we do. If you can determine, if you can discern why they're acting a certain way, it might help you de in determining what we're supposed to do. So number one in this is this. Maybe they're acting that way because they don't really know God. Maybe instead of being a hypocrite, maybe they're just plain lost. Maybe they, they've never been spiritually reborn. Maybe they've never been new, a transitional thing that's happened to them in their life. There are people that sit in church pews every Sunday. 
that know all the right things to say and know all the right things to do, but they've never had a transformational experience with Christ. They've never allowed themselves to be completely transformed to be like Him. Where the old has passed away and everything becomes new. They've never had that experience before. Church for them is more about going through ritualistic motions and, and doing just the right things. But can I just tell you, the right things will never get you to heaven. It's only a relationship with Jesus. And maybe these people don't know that. They don't know God. 1 John 2.4 says this. It says, whoever says, I know God, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. I love 1 John. If you, if you want somebody that just puts it bluntly and just throws it out there, 1 John is your book, man. I'm telling you that right now. John just tells it like it is. He says, if you claim to know God, but you don't do what he commands, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. In other words, just because you go to church, just because you claim to be a Christian, that doesn't mean that you're a Christian. Just because I stand in the garage doesn't mean I'm a car. Maybe they've never been made spiritually new. Maybe they don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus and never experienced the grace of the Lord. Jesus said it this way. He said it that some people will come and he'll be saying, They'll be saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because everyone that says, Lord, Lord, doesn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Just because we claim Christ doesn't mean that we've been transformed by him. This person is not a hypocrite. They're lost. And they need Jesus. Maybe they don't know God. The second person is this. Maybe it's someone that doesn't know any better yet. Maybe it's somebody that doesn't know any better yet. Why are they behaving this way? It's because maybe they're new in their faith. And they haven't gotten to this point of of being taught on how they're supposed to live. Paul talks to the Corinthian church about this. The Corinthian church had a lot of issues. And Paul deals with this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. He's telling to this this group he says i can't address you as people who live by the spirit but as people who are still worldly because you're not living by the spirit you still you're still worldly and he says that you are mere infants in christ in other words yes you've been saved yes you've been changed by jesus but you really haven't matured and grown and you haven't spiritually got to the place where you need to be you're kind of a baby in christ This is the kind of person that doesn't need harsh correcting. They need someone to come around and be a disciple. They need instruction. They need to be able to grow. Why they act this way? Why why do they act the way they act? That will determine how we and what we do. Maybe they just don't know better yet. Maybe they're lost. Or maybe, and this is where we're going to spend most of our focus today, maybe... They know better, but they still disobey God. Maybe they know better, but they still disobey God. This is the hypocrite. They dishonor God with the way they live. 1 Peter 2.16, he's basically saying this. He's saying, you're free, but you're still his servants. 
He says, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to sin. Don't use the grace of God as some kind of covering that says, oh, I can just ask for forgiveness later. I can live however I want. I can live in sin, and I can just ask for forgiveness later. Can I just tell you, you're living a life, not only a dangerous life of being close to the edge, you are living a life that God says, that doesn't reveal a transformed nature of who you should be in Christ. I shouldn't be trying to live close to the edge. I shouldn't be using that freedom. I shouldn't be using the grace of God and taking it for granted. I should be trying my best to please Him. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Sometimes when people slip into this thought process of hypocrisy, they start by saying, well, you know, it's nobody's business anyway. God will forgive me. He always does. God's grace, it covers it. They shouldn't be judging me anyway. Ooh, yeah. It could be the person that says, you know what, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with anger. I don't have a problem with criticism. I don't have a problem with doing anything. And by the way, you're not perfect anyway. You ever heard that? Don't you judge me. God's going to forgive me. God's grace is sufficient. It is, but you're trying to use God's grace as an excuse to sin. Peter says, don't do it. Don't use your freedom in Christ to excuse what you know is wrong. So what do we do in the category of these people? How do we, how do we engage them? How, how do we get to someone who's been changed by Christ, but yet they're willfully disobeying God. Is it none of our business? Should we just kind of step back and say, well, judge not, lest you be judged. You know, we've all heard that before. Is it one of those things that we should say, man, it is our business, and I'm going to be all up in your business, right? Is it something like that? Should we be non-confrontational and just sit back and pray like crazy? I think it's important, and again, as I said earlier, I think it's so important, church, that we get this right. How do we love people who wear a mask? How do we love people who say they're one thing but are living something else? How do we love a hypocrite? How do we do that? I want to give three thoughts today from Scripture, and then we're going to pray at the end. Three thoughts today. Number one is this. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to pray. God, help me confront with a heart to restore. Not a heart to judge. Not a heart that says, shame, 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 everybody knows your name. But a heart to restore. It, um, can I just tell you this? How you react in this, your heart matters. Your heart matters in this. How you approach this matters. You want to pray, God, help me to confront with this kind of heart. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, he told them um, this, and if we put that on the screen, great, because i got two verses, thank you. Brothers, if a man is caught in any transgression, you are, who are spiritual should do what? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. What does the word restore mean? It means to bring back, to make whole again. 
Our heart has to be that my, my goal in this, the end result of what that I want this to be, is that I want to bring restoration. And I want to come, people to come back to Jesus, and I'm going to do it gently, and I'm going to do it humbly. I, I love this other translation. It's in the New Living Translation. It says this, If another Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. I love that. Get them back on the right path. They've wandered off. Help them to come back. Here's the kind of metaphor we're looking at. You're not the judge. You're the guide. You're not the judge. You're the guide. You're not the judge that's going to claim right and wrong. You're the guide that's going to gently lead them to a better way. The way toward Christ. The way of life. In other words, this. Your goal is not to be right your goal is to help them to be right with God. Your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them to be right with God. And it's not this kind of thought process. It says, it's, look at me. It's, it's not that way. I'm the guide. I'm going to help you to come back because one day you might help me come back. I'm going to do it gently. You know, I, I think about Jesus. How, how did he love these kind of people? How did he love people in this way? He did it with grace and with truth. You know, I think of the woman caught in adultery. If he was just full of grace, he could have just said, well, you know, it's okay. You can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Just, just continue on what you're doing. It's, it's all right. If it would have been, if he just would have gone to, to these people with truth, it would have been, okay, just stone her, man. That's what she deserves. Get, get, take it out. But he comes with grace and truth. And, and this thought process, this is what Jesus does. In the context of this story, he reaches down and he writes something in, in the sand. We don't know what that was. It doesn't tell us in Scripture what it was. There are some scholars that believe that he began to write down the sins of the people that were holding the stones in the sand. Because what began to happen was this. One by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. One by one, they dropped their stones until finally he gets, kneels down to this woman and he says, listen, who is it that accuses you? And she looks around and says, no one. No one's here. It was his grace that said, listen, all your accusers are gone and neither do I condemn you. Isn't that cool? The grace of God that says, I don't condemn you for what you've done. There's forgiveness and there's grace. But then he doesn't stop with grace. He comes back with truth and he says, listen, I know that you are free. Now go on your way, but go and sin no more. Don't do it again. There's a better way. Don't keep living this lifestyle. There's something that you need to do to keep your life in tune with me. Don't do this. So there's grace and truth. And that's the heart to restore. God, help me confront with that kind of heart. The second thing is this. Help me to confront carefully. Help, help me to confront carefully. If we went back to that passage in Galatians chapter 6, it says this. It says, brothers, if a man is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, here's the thought, watching yourselves lest you be tempted. Be very, very careful the moment you put on the posture of the one correcting because when you do that, you're more vulnerable to pride to enter your own life. We know that pride comes before a fall. 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. He says, if you, so if you think you're standing firm, if you're really confident in yourself, be careful because you're setting yourself up for a fall. And when you confront it, do it carefully because in the moment we think we're better and we start listening to the lies of the enemy. The lies of the enemy that say something like this, well, you never do that. Say something like, that's so ungodly, can you believe it? You're so much better than that. And then that opens you up to be vulnerable to do the same thing that you're calling someone else out on. So how do we do this? How do we restore carefully and with a good heart? Well, I'm going to give you a really quick lesson. We're going to go to Matthew's gospel again, Matthew 18. And I'm going to give you a short summary here of what Jesus says, okay? In Matthew um, chapter 18. I'm going to get the right digits for you. So you know. It starts in verse 15. And he says this, Now if your brother, some versions say your brother or sister sins against you, before we get started, I want you to know what this says. Brothers and sisters, if there's someone in Christ, in other words, if you're going to go out, you're, you're not going to go out and confront non-Christians for not behaving like Christians. Because they're non-Christians. Everybody understand that, right? You're not going to go out and confront non-Christians for not behaving like Christians. Instead, what we're going to do is we're, they shouldn't be behaving like Christians, but we're going to let them come into our churches. We're not going to act or behave like we're going to judge them. We're going to love them where they are. We're going to give them a safe place to belong even before they make a decision for Christ. And our goal is not to change them, but to allow the love of God through us to introduce them to the one who can. I want you to understand this principle. You don't have the power to inwardly change anybody. Only the Holy Spirit working through you can be the person that invites change. This morning, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your life about something, whether that been through uh, the time of communion or through worship or maybe even parts of this message. The Holy Spirit's speaking to your life. He's using something that's been maybe said or done or sung, and what's happening is it is allowing Him to speak into your life. Not me, not Pastor Black, not Pastor Dustin have the power to change anybody neither do you but we're going to love people we're going to let sinners and non-christian people come into our church why because we want to see them transformed by the power of jesus somebody say amen. amen that's what we want this to be we want this to be a safe place where you can come and experience god because each one of us in this room had been to a place where we didn't know God. Or maybe one, there's some of us in this room that knew God and backslid. And you needed somebody to come around you and restore with a heart of restoration. And it wasn't necessarily that person, but the Holy Spirit used that person to speak into your life. And you're now one that has come to Christ and embraced Him fully. Every one of us in this room have been in that place where we needed Jesus. And we needed him, and he was the only one that could change a life. He 
He's the only one. He says this, if your brother or sister sins against you, he says, let the Spirit draw them to Christ. That's his role. That's our role. But he says this, go to them directly. You go to them directly. In the Greek, that means you don't bang the solution out on Facebook. Okay, maybe that's not Greek, but the, the, the thought process is there, right? You're not going to bang this out on Facebook. You're not going to throw it up on social media and let people just comment, right? That's like if you went to the mall, or you went to Walmart, or you went someplace where there's a lot of people around, and it's a community hub, it's a center, and you got on the intercom and said, Beth is a center! Beth, we all know what you're doing! You need to repent right now, Beth! She's in aisle four. Everybody look at Beth. That's who she is. She's right there. She's got the red blouse on. That's Beth. She's a sinner. That's what you do when you go on social media. That's what you do when you put your dirty laundry out on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that other junk. That's what you're doing when you do it that way. You're embarrassing someone and you're actually having the opposite effect of what you want. You want them to be restored. You want them to be renewed. That should be your heart, right? But instead, what are you doing? That's a sinner! And you're pushing them away. Beth needs to come to the altar right now. Fall on your knees in aisle four by the produce. Right? That's what it's like. So you go to them one-on-one. -on -one. You don't air it out for everybody to see. And you tell them, hey, this is what you're doing. This is how you've hurt me. This is where you've gone astray. This is what's going on. This is what I see. And Jesus says this, if you've won them over, great. You've made progress. And praise God, you've got them back on the right path. But if they don't listen, Jesus says, do this. Bring in some support. Bring in one or two other people to help them see that this is really an issue. Make sure there are people that have the same heart that you do. That are lovingly trying to help them and point them toward the truth. If they still don't listen, you've gone one-on-one, -on -one, you've brought in a couple people, you've got to elevate this to some form and you've got to bring it to the leadership of the church. You bring in some more official leadership and then Jesus says, if you've done the one-on-one -on -one and you've brought a couple people and, and you've brought in the leadership of the church to some level and they still don't listen to what happens, then at that point you've got to redefine the relationship. He says you've got to treat them like tax collectors and sinners. Now that may not mean a whole lot to you, but in those days, tax collectors and sinners were people that were kind of just pushed away because of their sinful lifestyle. You didn't want them a part of your everyday life. Jesus went to these people, but he's Jesus, you're not. That doesn't mean we shouldn't go approach them as non-believers and Christians and pray for them and seek out and build relationship that way with them, but we cannot let them in our inner circle influencing us. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I can't have people who are saying one thing and living another in my inner circle influencing my life and my decisions and my family. 
I can be friends on a different basis. I can draw a line in the sand and says, listen, you know, we're not going to be able to do this kind of stuff anymore because you're influencing me in a certain way and I can't have that in my life. Does that make sense? I can pray for you. We can still meet together. And the door is always open. If you want to come in, I want to talk with you. I want to pray with you. My heart is restoration. My heart is that you get your life right with Christ. My heart in this is that everything in, that's going on with you right now is resolved. But right now you have maintained a distance and Jesus said you've taken it one-on-one you've taken a support group with you you've taken it to leadership they haven't listened you got to draw a line in the sand and that seems harsh doesn't it but it's not it's actually loving it's actually loving because what you're saying is listen I love you so much that I've got to say hey listen I want you to come to Christ, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even if that means that I can't allow you to be in my inner circle anymore because I really love you that much, and I know that's tearing both of us apart. It's tearing me apart that we have to live this way, but I want you to come to Christ so bad. That's the heart of restoration. Jesus gives us that thought process. Any moment you want to say yes, man, you can come back. The door's wide open. You're always welcome. What do we do? We confront with a heart to restore. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that way. We're going to confront carefully. And then finally is this. God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. (laughs) You didn't see that one coming, did you? You all thought you were getting off easy today. We were talking about them. We were talking about me, right? Help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Jesus calls hypocrites, as, as you read through this passage in um, Psalm 20, I mean, Matthew 23, he calls them blind fools, that they're blind to it. In other words, it's this, hypocrisy is really difficult to see in the mirror. Hypocrisy is really difficult to see in the mirror. It's easy to point out in someone else, but it's hard to see in our own lives. That's why Jesus calls them blind fools. But the problem is, sometimes we're blind fools. Sometimes you are, sometimes I am. It's that we don't always see it. You can come worship on a Sunday morning. You can come teach. You can preach. You can do all kinds of different things for the Lord and go home and live the very opposite way of what you're being taught or what you're teaching and not even know that what you're doing. Something that I heard, it's very, very true. It says, wherever I'm the most condemning of others, that's often a reflection of where I'm the most vulnerable. Wherever I'm the most condemning or judgmental of others, that's often the place, a reflection of where I'm the most vulnerable. Well, if I had their kind of money, I wouldn't spend it that way. Well, maybe they're not the problem. Their problem is not money. Maybe your problem is money. Maybe your heart's wrong. David is a good example of this in Scripture. If you don't know David, David is somebody that the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. He was a great guy. But one night, 
He was supposed to be at war, and he wasn't at war. He was on his roof. And from his rooftop, he looked out, and he saw a beautiful woman, and he says, go get her. And he committed adultery with this woman named Bathsheba. To compound the problem, he also went out, and this one sin led to this other sin, and, and the other sin was the fact that he had his, her husband basically murdered. He instructed the commander of the army to put her husband where it was, the fighting was the fiercest, and then they were to withdraw from him, basically leaving him out on an island all by himself. And he died. And David just went on with life as normal totally blind to his own hypocrisy. One day there's a prophet by the name of Nathan that shows up at David's castle to, to confront him, but he, came, he went with a heart to restore. And he comes to him and he tells him his story. He says, once upon a time, that's really not in Scripture, but every good story starts that way, right? Once upon a time, there was a man. He was a rich man. And he had all kinds of livestock. He had sheep, he had cattle, he had all kinds of things. And there was a very poor man that had just one little lamb. That one little lamb. That lamb grew up with them. That lamb was loved by all the kids. It was kind of like a pet. And one day, the rich man came along and he was hungry and had some people and took the lamb and killed that poor man's lamb, his only lamb. And David stands up and he says, that is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And he's incensed. The Bible says he burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man that did this must die. He must pay that lamb for that lamb four times over because he's done such a thing and he's had no pity. And then Nathan looked at David and he said probably one of the most powerful things that David has ever had done in his life. He looked at him and pointed at him. He says, you are the man. It's you. You're the hypocrite. The one thing that's made you furious about this, David, and you're too blind to see your own hypocrisy. Wherever we're the most condemning or judgmental of someone else is often a sign, a reflection of where we're vulnerable ourselves. That's why we've got to be careful when we're, called, when we're being a speck inspector. Speck inspectors. Oh, there's a speck in your eye. Oh, there's a speck in your eye. There's a speck. Oh, there's a log in mine. Right? One of the incredible metaphors that is used throughout Scripture, it's not really flattering, is this. We're called sheep. Do you know something about sheep? Sheep are stupid. Let that be an enlightening thing for you this morning. You know what else sheep do? They wonder. It's one of those things like, oh, there's something shiny. Oh, uh, whoo, and they, they're gone, right? Squirrel. <laughs> like they're, they're gone. Happens a lot of times. And what happens to us is the enemy whispers, hey, little sheep, look over there. 
hey, little sheep, look over there. Can I, can I just throw this to you as well? Just because a sheep wonders doesn't mean that a sheep's a wolf. Doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that they've wondered. And we're not to be the judge, we're to be the guide. Remember that. We're supposed to say, come here, little sheep. Let's go back to the good shepherd. Let's get back to the flock. Let's get back to where you need to be. So when that brother that's committing adultery and he continues to do it, we don't write him off as a wolf that we never want to see again. We recognize that he's a sheep that's being taken from the flock, and so we've got to come and do everything we can to help restore him. The devil tries to isolate us and to get us alone, to, to get us to wonder because that's when he prays, that's when he destroys because the devil goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He doesn't devour flocks, he devours individuals who get away from flocks. If you'll look at Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, whatever thing that you watch about lions, if you'll watch the thing about lions, they do not attack herds and flocks because they know that they can't do anything because the herd will then attack them and they'll be done for. They wait for isolation. They wait for you to wonder, to listen to that voice that says, look over there, little sheep. Look over there, little sheep. And we start to wander from the flock. But we have to do everything we can to guide people to keep them in the flock, in the body of Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, said it this way in James 5. He says, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the errors of their ways will save a soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. That's why it's so important, church, that we get this right. How do we love hypocrites? How do we love people who are living one way? Saying they're living one way, but actually living another. We have the heart to restore because when Satan tries to take one away from the flock, you could be on that one person. You could be that one loving person that comes and guides them back. You could be the one that is speaking truth and giving them grace and showing them the love of God and the Holy Spirit's working through you and working on them and He is doing that and you're saving them from a spiritual destruction. You're letting the grace of Jesus cover a multitude of sins because guess what, blind fool? You might be the one one day that listens to the voice and starts to wonder. And wouldn't you love to have someone come alongside of you to kind of say, come on, little sheep. Let's get back where we're supposed to be. To re-heart with a heart to restore and a heart of love. He knows what they're doing. Bring us back to that way of life and the way of Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please, this morning? Father, this morning I pray, I feel like I've given the words that you're supposed, that you wanted me to share this morning. God, today I, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you do your thing here today? Would you move through this place and touch 
hearts and lives. I've, I've felt you here this whole time. God, I know that you're moving and I pray that you would just touch the lives of people right now. This morning in this atmosphere of prayer, your heads bowed, you'll, you'll be honest. You say, you know what? I, I know someone right now. I know someone right now that's wondered. I know someone right now that's living in hypocrisy. I know someone that fits this message today. And pastor, I, I have not known what to say, but I want to be a voice. You want to be able to say and, and commit to God that says, I want to be a voice of restoration. I want to be a voice of love. I want to be a voice that has the right heart and the right motive and come alongside of them and say, listen, I, I see where you're heading and it's not good. I see the path that you're on and the devil's kind of duped you, my friend. And we've got to get back to the flock. And maybe you know someone today that that's the case and you say, Pastor, I, I want to be a voice of restoration. I, I want to be the person that God can use in this moment. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand? We want to pray with you this morning. Yeah, there's hands around. I want to be that voice of restoration. Hallelujah. God, I pray right now, especially for those who have a situation going on right now with someone, someone's been brought to their mind, they've been brought to their heart, it's a loved one, it's a brother, it's a sister, it's a friend, it's someone, God, that right now they're making wrong decisions, they've gotten away from the flock, they've wondered, God, give us the heart of a guide, not the attitude of a judge, help us, God. Help us, God, as these sheep are wondering to, to be able to, to not see them as a wolf that's out to do harm, but help us to see them as someone that, that you love and that, you're, that you died for and that you want to come and touch their life. In the same way that you showed us grace, in the same way that you've shown us truth and mercy, empower us to love these people that way. Let us have grace and truth. Let us be able to have integrity as we're doing this and be led by your spirit. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for favor. I pray for the right words. And I pray for the right heart of response that before we ever get to this person, we're going to pray. We're going to intercede on their behalf. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to be working on them even now. And in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, I pray that as those people raise their hand today, you know the name, you know the heart, you know the condition. And so right now I pray, Lord, would you go to them, Holy Spirit, and would you draw them back to where they need to be? Would you draw them back? Help us, God. Help us, Lord, as we become your voice. Give us the heart that we need in Jesus' name. You're here today and we're praying still and your heads are still bowed and you're here today and maybe you're the one that wandered off. Maybe you're the one that the sheep is away from the flock Can I just lovingly tell you, don't live this life. God has so much for you. There's so many things that he wants to do. Don't, don't fall into this trap of hypocrisy. Don't do it. Outside of this 
if you continue on this path, it's going to lead down to you being isolated. That's part of what I believe Jesus talked about when he gave that instruction about how to deal with this. And when you're isolated, you're vulnerable. Don't continue down this path. Decide that as Pastor Black said this morning, you're going to be all in. You're not going to leave yourself in a place of being out, but you're going to give it all. And today you say, Pastor, I just want to be honest. I'm kind of the one that's wondering right now, but I want to come home. I want to come back to the flock. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up today? We want to pray with you this morning. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Hallelujah. Is there anyone else this morning? The Holy Spirit, just a moment to pull you, to draw you. Is there anyone else today? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me for just a minute? And let's pray. Today, if, if that's you, I'm going to pray a prayer over you, but at some point during this prayer, I want you to ask for the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of God. He has given you His truth today. And what I want to encourage you to do is say, God, I want to make a commitment to you today to live completely for you. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, if there's, for those, God, this morning who raised their hand, that they're struggling with this, they're the ones that wandered off, they're the ones that have been led astray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that today there's forgiveness and there's grace, but God, there's also the truth of where they are. And God, I pray that as we accept the grace and the love of God in our life, and Lord, as you forgive us of our sin, I also pray, God, that we would accept the truth that says, go and sin no more. That we would accept the truth that says this is what I have for your life. And we would follow in and be part of the flock, part of your body. of God, there is someone that you died for. You've come around us and you've embraced us. Today I pray let us embrace you again. This morning you're here and you raised your hand for this altar call. I want to challenge you right now. Would you just, right where you're standing, say, Jesus, would you forgive me? And you, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. You know more about it than I do. Would you just say, Jesus, forgive me? Renew my heart. Renew my life. I come in home today. I know I wandered off, but I'm coming home. And today I pray, I pray, God, that the Spirit of the Lord would move in their heart right now. And just like when the prodigal son came home from his far-off wanderings, that they would feel the wrapping of a heavenly Father wrapping their arms around them today, saying, welcome back, welcome home. Father, today I pray, give us the grace and the mercy, give us a heart, God, to restore, help us to pray, help us, God, to 
confront when we confront we do it carefully we do it out of love we do it out of uh, a thing lord that we want to be scriptural when we do it and we're going to give them grace and truth but god also i pray help us point out in our life holy spirit when we become the hypocrite when we become the one that is falling short we thank you lord today thanks for a great day with you Give us a great week as we reach people for Christ in Jesus' name. Amen.